Hi, everybody. Welcome to the September 28, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Denver Startup Week. It's coming to an end this Friday and as we tape the show. Thousands of entrepreneurs and startup company experts flock to Denver for the largest event of its kind now in its ninth year. Patty Calhoun from Westward, were you able to get around Denver this week with the multitude of folks, whether Uber or scooters or a variety of modes of transportation getting from events all over the town? And the body is still lying on the sidewalk after Great American Beer Festival. <laughs> uh, this was an orgy of entrepreneurialism, which was great. You know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, probably, the um, Chamber of Commerce wanted to push startups and tech and how cool we were, and they came up with the con concept of the Confluence Corridor, which never took off. But Denver Startup Week has taken off. It's really a great, great event. Everything from Meow Wolf to ARP sponsors events. Now what we just need to do is get all those smarty pants to figure out what to do on the mall. <laughs> I think we would probably need uh, uh, all those thousands of experts. I think you're right. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, a major event like this disperses. It's kind of a deconstructed conference. It's not all the conference convention center. It's all different places throughout downtown. What do you think about the focus of all this tech and startups in Colorado? Well, it, it, it's a great thing, and hopefully many of those people will su create successful businesses and, and, and uh, give people jobs. Uh, but we need to remember that jobs are not just this sort of like glamorous high-tech thing. There's lots of things other entrepreneurs out there uh, who are just trying to open a convenience store or a, a small restaurant. And kind of across the board, Denver has long been notorious for a really difficult licensing process, if, especially if you're a first-time small business owner and trying to start up. And I think that's, there's a lot more that needs to be done to fix that. Eric Sonderman, political analyst, do you think there might be some political clout in this group? I mean, we know of some folks already running for, uh, well, AG, Phil Weiser is uh, part of the whole uh, lineup. Jared Polis has a history there. So do you think there might be some political clout coming with folks that are uh, making a big deal in Denver Startup Week? Well, there's probably another Jared Polis buried somewhere within those 20,000 people. You just don't know which one it is, but somebody's going to hit it big and and uh, 10, 20 years from now be on the political scene. You just don't know which of those 20,000 it might be, who's lightning going to strike or who has that exceptional level of brain power. Uh, I don't have a ton to add to David and Patty. I think they nailed it. Uh, I think this gives us, for that one week a year, a little taste, just a small little incremental taste of what Silicon Valley is like, and we can all feel good about it, and we can also feel good that we're not Silicon Valley the other 51 weeks of the year. Natasha Gardner, Articles Editor with 5280. Uh, wrap it up for us. What did you think after the, the madness that was Startup Week in Denver? You know, I had an opportunity to go to several panels this week, and it was really interesting because to the one, I was impressed with all of them. Great diversity of topics and, and issues. But I think what one of the things that was striking in this particular year was the, the variety of topics that appealed not just to people who were doing tech startups. You could go to a session. There were concerned citizens that went to sessions because they cared about the topic. There were people who make things, you know, not a traditional sort of Silicon Valley feel that we're talking about art and talking about um, products and talking about innovation and, and the city and how it grows. I think it was an excellent moment to not only look at the startup world, but also look at how Sid, the city of Denver has grown throughout the, the time that the startup week has been going on. I certainly am looking forward to see what the lineup is for next year. 
Let's get to what everyone's been talking about this week, the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. We had headlines earlier this week because we had an allegation, we had allegations from a, of sexual misconduct emerging from a second woman here in Colorado. And then we had a vote earlier as we taped here on Friday at noon going from the committee to the full Senate probably next week with uh, some caveats from a couple of Republicans, including Jeff Flake. Pat, I'm going to throw it to you. There is a lot to cover here. I'll take, uh, it's your choice of where you want to go, whether developments from Friday, what we saw in testimony on Thursday, uh, the Colorado connection, your choice. Well, even before the Rebecca Ramirez issue, is Rebecca? Teresa Ramirez. Deborah. Deborah, sorry. Um, Deborah, Deborah Ramirez's connection came out in the New Yorker last Sunday. This is hitting close to home for a lot of people. I have talked to many, many women over the last two weeks who are remembering incidents that happened to them, things they've never really talked about, things that at the time they might not have thought rose to the level of a crime or anything they would admit to people. So this discussion and the topic is really raw for a lot of people. Talk about raw then. You've got the testimony on Thursday which had the country spellbound. I mean, you've, you watch the people on the planes all watching the testimony. And people are filtering it through their own experiences and their own ways they feel about things. It's impossible to really tell who won. What we have to remember is this is not a civil case where the judgment is going to be for or against one person. We're talking about whether or not someone is going to be basically put on the Supreme Court for life. This is not even running for president, where you can throw them out in four years, maybe. This is on for life. So it's a serious topic. And I think the fact that the American Bar Association late Thursday night reversed what they had said. They'd already came out with a glowing recommendation of Kavanaugh, but said, let's wait. Let's have that FBI investigation. And I think at this point, that is the very least we can do. Now, we don't know if that's what the Senate committee will have agreed on. David, uh, there's uh, multiple angles this one, as we mentioned. Uh, take your pick of which one you want to go for. Well, I think Patty brings up an important point because there's lots of women who can tell some kinds of stories of, you know, being groped or, or worse things. And so it, it, it is and has been a widespread problem. That doesn't automatically mean that, that every woman who makes an accusation is always telling the truth and that every man who's accused is automatically guilty. Ida Barnett Wells, the, the great journalist, uh, wrote about this in regard to lynching uh, back in the, the turn of the previous century and said how in, in the South you have a, a, a white woman can make an accusation of, of an assault or a rape against a black man, never testifies under oath, and she's just automatically believed and the, the black man then ends up murdered by a lynch mob. So we, we're supposed to have due process and a fair system where people can testify and, and, and be cross-examined as well. Senator Gardner did a good and responsible job on his side uh, when he received an anonymous letter making allegations about Kavanaugh in 1998 that claimed that there were, that occurred in 98, claimed there were four witnesses, including the letter writer, although there were no names, you know, no location other than Washington, D.C., you know, nothing to go on really, but properly he forwarded that to the bipartisan staff of the Senate Judiciary Committee, which looked into that matter, uh, as they do on lots of things, uh, you know, not in public testimony, but, but in, in private hearings as, as much as they could investigate it. And of course, somebody presumably on the Democratic staff uh, leaked that to NBC News, but there's, there was nothing to, to back it up. Senator Bennett, who I think has normally been a good and responsible senator, 
didn't do it, didn't do that. When Deborah Ramirez came to him, instead of going to the committee staff, which could have investigated, uh, he worked with uh, other senators, keeping it under lids, and, and then the media to try and have it come out. And she uh, repeatedly, through her lawyer, refused to give any statement under oath to the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee to provide any substantiation. And, of course, we know the New York Times had also been looking at that story, and they said they interviewed dozens of people and couldn't find any corroboration for what she said. So I think Senator Bennett did a disservice to the, the public with how he handled that. Eric, there are a lot of folks dissecting every single part of uh, this story, and I'll let them get into the details. For me, I looked at maybe some of the political ramifications of this. Regardless of where the vote goes, I think there's an energy out there on both sides of the aisle that is going to uh, bleed down into even local races. Uh, am I nuts? No, you're not nuts. It's the only issue this week. It's the only thing people are talking about. Uh, it has riveted the country. I think somebody already used that word, and it's the apt word. I'll get to what you're talking about in a sec, Dominic. I think I ought to start. I mean, we're taping this, as you indicated, at noon, and literally this news is broken in the last 10 minutes. So by the time this airs, what I'm about to say might be completely wrong. But what I think went down in the, literally in the last half hour before we taped is that a group of centrist senators, and that's a very small group these days, but Jeff Flake, who's a member of the Judiciary Committee, I'm presuming perhaps Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, perhaps Democrat Joe Manchin, also part of that, got together and basically forced a one-week delay. It cleared the Senate, the committee moments ago on an 11-10 party line vote to be sent to the floor. But the understanding is that the floor will not act on this for up to a week while the FBI conducts a further investigation. And the way that Flake and Collins at all have of leveraging that is if the Senate tries to move before that, presumably they would be no votes. And obviously they need their votes, so that's the leverage that they have. Again, I could be totally wrong, but I think that there was a small band of middle ground senators who forced this. Now the question is, what can the FBI do in a week? The Democrats have seized on that as their talking point. FBI report, FBI investigation. The FBI doesn't really do findings of facts in these situations. They go talk to a bunch of people, and then they come back and say, Smith said this, this, and this, and Jones said this, this, and this. The Senate ultimately still needs to assess all that and be the finders of fact. I think the compromise entailed that they're not going to expand the scope beyond the charges currently uh, on the table. To your question, bigger picture, we could talk forever about this. I'll try to be quick. I think this whole episode just sort of points to the unraveling, the slow but steady and seemingly irreversible, although God knows we hope it's reversed, unraveling of our political system, the way people just run to their camps, they pick sides depending on the outcome they want. That's not true of everyone. But when I look at the number of people, whether it's in my social media feed or wherever, on both sides of this, who say, I know, capital letters on no, I know he's guilty, or I know she's lying. It's not I believe, I think, I suspect, it's I know with the K-N-O-W in capital letters. There's just no room for nuance. There's no room for thought anymore. Uh, it's distressing stuff. It's been a, a week that sort of shakes people, and it's just underscored our tribalism, which is, which is very concerning.
I would certainly agree that tribalism is at all time high. I have a feeling that if one tribe said the sun rose in the east, the other tribe like, no, 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 that, that, it can't be true because the other tribe said that. Um, Natasha, what was your takeaway from this week that is still developing as we tape? Mm, I, and, and that's a key point. I think it's still developing, mm-hmm. and having a takeaway at this point is really difficult. I spent a lot of time thinking about this, thinking about what, what angle I would want to take this time in, in a venue to, to speak about, to bring my voice into the, the, the chaos of voices that are, are related to this conversation right now. I'm not sure I'm going to do that, but what I do want to focus on right now is legacy. And as I was watching things yesterday and thinking about this and, and talking to friends and talking to people in the community, I kept on thinking about Anita Hill. I am not yet a teenager when she testifies in, in front of, of the committee. And the impact that that had in my, in my childhood at that point, you know, I learned a lot of things about what can happen in a workplace. I learned a lot about what I would have to change in my life if I wanted to not experience those things and knew that I would also maybe not have a choice over whether I experienced those things or not. So the legacy of those hearings and how that impacted me, let alone the rest of America, politically, um, you know, in our work environments, across the board in our own homes, I think is amplified by what has happened this week as well. And while it is too early to say what that legacy is, I think it is important for us to take a a moment in the midst of all this chaos to take some breaths and to think about that. Think about what we're saying to our families, think about what we're saying to our friends and our communities, but to our politicians as well, about what this means for us at this time. The Giffords PAC, a pro-gun control group, agreed to change its TV ad attacking Mike Kaufman after complaints from Emily Key's family. The Keyes family said the original ad included a student named Emily who texted I love you to her parents, which was very close to a real situation that happened to their daughter, Emily. Uh, David, the ad's been changed, but the story's out there. Uh, what'd you make of the situation? Well, in the, the Keyes family, uh, I, I think in the spirit of this I love you foundation that they're running in their daughter's memory to promote positive uh, energy, uh, very generously. I said that they thought it was just an innocent mistake uh, by the, the the Giffords pack. That that's a a very generous reading of the whole situation, given given how close their ad was to uh, the the real life. Um, but it, it's a mistake. I can not. It wasn't. I don't think it was a coincidence. But I, I can understand why Giffords would do that, because they come with the mentality that. Anybody who's affected by a notorious crime with a gun must automatically be on their agenda of banning guns, of cracking down on law-abiding people, all that kind of stuff. And the media often plays into that because it highlights the people who who do feel that way and the ones who don't uh, get ignored. Um, Evan Todd was the first person shot in the library at Columbine High School. And he's testified before the state legislature and on an Independence Institute Freedom Minute uh, about why armed teachers and school staff are really important for student safety. Richard Castaldo was shot at Columbine and has been in a wheelchair ever since. He's also running uh, for the United States House of Representatives from Oklahoma as a libertarian candidate. So not everybody who's a victim automatically lines up with the punitive uh, approach to the innocent um, that the Giffords group takes. Eric, in any other week, this is probably topic one. It probably makes bigger headlines around Denver. The fact of the matter is there's bigger political situations going on. But we're still talking about probably one of the tightest races that we're going to see in November. 
Uh, can either the ad or what's happened about the ad make a difference? Of course, anything, you know, if you're in a one-point, half-point race, and we'll see if this one is, but could be very close. I mean, I, I think Kaufman, if he's going to hold on at all, is going to hold on by the skin of his teeth. Anything uh, can make a difference when you're looking for any tiny edge. You know, the fact that there's one more cheap, tawdry, quasi-misleading political ad, yes, it should be top of the news, but on the other hand, it's like, what's the story? I mean, that applies to many, if not most, political ads these days. I would just equate this to the previous topic in the sense of the means that these two parties are so entrenched and this battle is joined at such a level of intensity that uh, there is a complete ethic of any ends justify any means. And that's why you get ads like this. Natasha, are there going to be lasting ramifications over the original version of the ad after this week? After this week, I'm not sure anyone's going to have energy to watch the news. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's the more lasting impact of, of this entire situation. I, I, and I don't mean to, to make fun of a very serious topic and a tragedy for, an, uh, for a family that I can't even imagine living through. Um, but yes, it is that time of the season where the campaign ads come out, and in that short amount of time that they have to present information, it's amazing how frequently they present false information. Um, I would just encourage anyone who has a question about an ad, you know, Take a second, Google. There's some great reports out. Westward has done some work already on this, on ads, and whether they're, they're true or not. And so take that moment and say, huh, in that 30-second ad, that seemed like a pretty bold claim. See if it is a bold claim. Patty, what do you think? Is this something that uh, goes by the wayside because of the craziness and heat of the election, or does this stick because of the subject matter? It could bounce back again, but it already has taken top title for the worst ad of the campaign season, even if they pulled it. It was so tone deaf, you would think they could have just sat back for a second and thought about it. I mean, we've had stories we've done that have been misrepresented about murders as campaign ads, and they are always, they always fall flat because you can find out the truth. But in this case, to do the I love you guys, to play off Emily Key's horrible death, and there's the memorial ride this weekend, it just was really, really bad. The question is, will it stick? I don't think it hits Coffin that much. Will it stick on Jason Crow? Probably not, just because the people who did put the ad together are so well-known themselves. We're less than two weeks from ballots being mailed out to Colorado voters in the, in the governor's race. The record-breaking amounts of money being spent both by candidates and by outside groups continues to grow. Eric, you've been analyzing politics for a long time. Have you seen this kind of money come into a race with this little juice surrounding it? Yeah, well said, Dominic. No, I haven't seen it. The money is overwhelming and the excitement level is a yawner. Uh, I don't think either of these candidates have really captured the excitement. Yeah, one of them is going to be governor. As I've been saying, Coloradans can be assured of one thing at this point in time. They're going to have a governor who is a wealthy, 40-something, semi-smug, semi-arrogant, semi-entitled governor, uh, because that's what these two guys have in common. Neither one of them uh, has really captured the excitement of this state in the way uh, John Hickenlooper did, even a Bill Owens on the Republican side, much less a Dick Lamb or Roy Romer. One, one of them is still going to occupy this office. Uh, the money, I mean, you know, Republicans are battling because they haven't had this office very often for the last uh, uh, 50 years or thereabouts, and obviously Polis will never be outspent. There is no political challenge that another million dollars 
out of Polis's checkbook uh, that he thinks that can't be the salvation. Uh, can't get over soon enough for me. <laughs> Natasha, I guess in this day and age, I'm not surprised by millions of dollars. And we know we had uh, two wealthy candidates, one uh, historically spending millions of dollars to get elected, but Walker Stapleton is uh, not on a street corner with a tin can. Uh, and they have independent groups coming in now from out of state spending millions of dollars. Is it maybe is, is it going to uh, invigorate the race in October? What we've yawned through in September, are we headed for an exciting October? I hope so. I mean, I, in, in May I did a feature about the governor's race, and one of the, the key elements was looking at the big topics. And I, don't, I think we've just started to perhaps maybe think about discussing those topics. It's, it's time for that to happen. And I know that will start happening with the debates and, and, and um, as we get more sort of side-by-side -side comparisons of these candidates. But this is what we have to talk about because that's why you should be electing a governor because you think that on the big topics you align with them and that they're going to do the work that you want them to do. And I'm not sure that the average voter um, has had enough information about how that's going to play out yet. So I'm hoping October is exciting. Me too. Patty, do you think October will be exciting with these millions of dollars pouring in? It better be. You know, Eric's right on who was, he's semi-right on who's going to be elected. You can remove the semi-entitled, the semi-smug. We know we are going to get a, a smug, entitled guy, elected um, governor. We do see also the money is, is going to buy a lot of dirt right now to throw things at the wall, but so far nothing's sticking. You had the Democrats who, t to last night, wanted Stapleton to disavow Tancredo's endorsement because of what Tancredo said about Kavanaugh. Could we get more convoluted? Can we talk about some Colorado issues? But you also had the report on Polis and the police report and the incident back in 1999 with an employee, which when you really analyzed it all was much ado about nothing. But some, will some of that stick? Depends really on how much money people have to tack it onto the wall. David, wrap it up for us. Is, uh, do you see any juice in the horizon with these millions of dollars coming in? No, I wonder if it's just uh, making people tune out. Although anybody who votes on and it makes any important decision in their life, including voting, uh, based on TV commercials, um, shouldn't be voting. Um, I'd urge you to abstain if all you know about the candidates is what you saw in TV ads. You're here. Um, the, the Jared Polis incident, um, I think that was a, to make a long story short, the, that's actually something where the, there is a police report, and so we have a lot of the facts of that. A former employee came to the office and was stealing documents from the office. He confronted her, and although he denied it to the police, they, they thought that he did use physical force against her, shoved her into a filing cabinet, and uh, thereby causing a bruise. Um, I looked up the law on the use of physical force against theft, and it says reasonable and appropriate under the circumstances. And I think that is reasonable and appropriate force under the circumstances, and a thief doesn't get immunity from having force used against the thief uh, just because of the, the thief's uh, gender. Well, it is time. Uh, this can be pretty easy this week. Our uh, very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. Well, I'm sure we all agree. It is the circus going on in D.C. No matter how you feel about Deborah Ramirez, no matter how much you feel about Brett Kavanaugh, can't we just have a do-over and rewind it for about six months? As long as we don't have to live through it again. <laughs> David. <laughs> 
Well, Ken Buck uh, had a great op-ed in the Wall Street Journal talking about a real long, generation-long disgrace of this country, of how Congress has basically ceded the war power uh, to the president, and that's something that should absolutely be done by the people through the, through the Congress, and presidents should not be taking us unilaterally into war. Eric. Oh, the D.C. scene speaks for itself, but let me focus on a different court system, the Colorado court system here, where there is seemingly an unrivaled in any other state commitment on the part of that system to secrecy and non-disclosure of what should be public records, public information. There's a new Colorado Supreme Court ruling that underscores the right of the court system to keep things out of the public eye that is now be going to be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court by entities including the Colorado uh, Independent, uh, David McGoya in the Denver Post has done some important work on this. It is time for a heavy dose of sunshine within the Colorado court system. Natasha. Um, I'm going to add on to the D.C. Um, <laughs> the list. I think that, well, this is such an important topic and it needs our attention. And um, there are plenty of news stories this week that I've probably missed. And I'm going to take some time this weekend to really make sure that I'm digging into what, what else was happening in the world. Tennessee something nice. Patty. Get away from your television. Go out to a local theater this weekend. Cleo Parker Robinson is having her final dance at the age of 70. And at Sioux Teatro, Gustavo Ariano is profiled in an interview with a Mexican. It's a great new show. David. Eric Sonderman, the stalwart fan of the Rockies, who despite the cynics and the mockers, has st stood with them through thick and thin, sometimes against all the facts. But here they are in the, first, in the final episode uh, of this show before the end of the regular season. They are in first place in the National League West. I was still contending. We we're probably doing a kiss of death on them with four games left, but... Hope springs eternal. Eric. Thank you, David. Three games left, Dominic. Ah, One game lead over the Dodgers, two game lead over the Cardinals for the wild card. They're going to find their way into this playoffs. Uh, let me, more seriously, Senator Jeff Flake, we talked about him on the regular show. I made him, I say something nice a few months ago. He is the kind of common sense. He's a very conservative guy. He's not going to exchange his principles. But common sense Republican and what's happening to him. He is leaving office here in a few months, which is probably telling of what's going on in Washington, that people like that have no future. Natasha. Uh, really quick, there were no less than four times this week when public art installations around town made me stop and wonder and admiration and awe. Just really so much praise for the artists and the institutions that make that happen. The Jerry Maguire video uh, store experience, that was pretty awesome. I want to say something nice about the fine folks at Windsor Gardens. I was proud to moderate a town hall at their community this week, and many folks told me they are fans of the show. They always tune in to watch us. So thanks for having me out there, and thanks for watching. A big reminder for next week, we will bring you a debate with the two major party candidates for governor. That's right, Walker Stapleton and Jerry Polis from the CBS4 studios next Friday at 7 p.m., one hour right before ballots are sent to your mailbox. Be sure to tune in. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.